We did Deep Cries Out uh, this morning, which is the one that has a lot of aerobic workout in it. Uh, we want to... We can't have, we can't let the kids have all the fun on Sunday morning, okay? Uh, so we do that uh, on Family Worship Sunday as well, and uh, it's just a blast to uh, join uh, in that. And if you want to have fun at bath time, maybe you dread bath time with your children. You play on a speaker on your phone, deep cries out at bath time. You will don't put. Don't put that much water in your bathtub, okay? But it is a blast. And then, it's a good time. Worshiping Jesus at bath time instead of cursing at your children, it's always a plus, okay? It's a good reverse. So um, I'm a parent, I understand, uh, but there you go. We are in our second week of a relationship series called uh, Hello, Reconnecting in a Disconnected World. And so today we're going to talk about how you are better together. You are better together. And I know sometimes you're like, you, you don't know who I'm married to. Uh, I understand that. But you are better together. You are better as a team. Our main thought for today is this. We is always better than me. We is always better than me. We is always better than me. And I, uh, we're doing a, this whole series is on relationships. Some of it <clears throat> will be very applicable to parenting relationships. Some of it will be very applicable to work relationships. Today is primarily uh, about uh, spousal relationships and dating relationships. So, uh, but the rest of them are a little bit more uh, applicable uh, to those other areas. So if you are single today, I apologize, uh, but not too much. So uh, there's that. Um, but that's what we're talking about. And I know there's some stuff that you can get out of, uh, these things. Um, you can always look at, uh, yeah, you, you can always extrapolate, uh, good stuff from, from these points. So that's where we're at today. We is always better than me. We is always better than me. And I'm going to keep on saying it until you believe it. We is always better than me because it's so easy. We live in such a closed off society. We, uh, you know, we isolate ourselves even in our own homes. It used to be that there was this thing called a front porch, right? And you would talk to your neighbors. In Georgia, I have this gorgeous home that if you're interested in moving to Woodstock, I can sell you at a, uh, <laughs> have a deal for you. Uh, but it is a gorgeous home. And the thing about it, it has this huge wraparound porch. It is in the middle of a regular subdivision, but you take a picture, you think it's out in the, out in the country somewhere. It is gorgeous. It's got this uh, swing on it that, you know, if you're, you're looking to have a baby, it's, it rocks twins even really well. Uh, just, you know, it, it works great. Anyway, I'll quit reminiscing. But this porch, you know what? I still don't even, I lived there for 10 years. I didn't even know my neighbor's names. Well, I, that's a lie because I know I'm on Facebook. But I, we never talked. We never communicated. I have a porch. I have a perfect avenue to getting to know the people around me. And it's this gorgeous wraparound porch and don't even know my neighbors. And I think you guys are probably in the same boats. We open the garage door, we zip in, and we lower the garage door. 
Now, people around here, I think it's funny, as I've noticed, that in spring and summer and fall, you will talk to your neighbors. But as soon as it dips below like 40, it's like DEFCON 5. Everybody's in. You know, we are, we are in. And you do not come into my bubble, and it's okay. Uh, it's just the way it works around here. It, it's happened at both places, houses I've lived in here. Uh, it's, just, it's just funny to me. Uh, so if any of you other transplants notice that, it's just the way it goes around here. I understand. It's cold. Uh, but that's... That's just how it goes. We're so isolated. That isolation doesn't just translate into our neighbor relationships. It translates into our couch relationships, right? We get our phones out. We get on Facebook. We start checking an email or text or whatever, and we start hunching and turning away from whoever is in actual, the actual person that's in the room with us. And we get more and more isolated, more and more isolated. And that we don't actually, to get inter- interaction with people, we don't have to communicate with the person who's standing in the room with us. And so many of us have, you know, our whole two different TV setups and our whole two, we split everything in life where I can go do my own thing and you can do your own thing and our paths don't really have to cross. And this idea of we are better together is counter to all of that. That doing life together is better than the isolation that maybe we have in our relationships. And so we're going to explore some really practical tools. Some of them are very uncomfortable tools, okay? They're very uncomfortable, and and your rebuttal immediately is going to be like, you do not know who I'm married to. Fair enough. But there's one or two or four or five of all of these things that you can start applying into your marriage today, and if you're a spouse, if you're lucky enough to have your spouse here today, that you guys can say, well, what'd you think about the, you don't have to push one of these things on. Well, I think we really need to do this one. Don't do that. That will, a guy will just be like, shut down. I'm done. Don't talk to me. We are, it's, it's over. Like we are not, we're not doing this. What do you think? Oh, okay. So, you know, just incognito start doing one of these things. Okay. They don't even have to know like a week from now, two weeks from now. Well, a month, a guy will go, huh, she's doing that one thing that Jerry talked about. It's, we're slow. It's, it is what it is. The first thing is we serve one another, serving one another. This is very uncomfortable, very counter to all of our what we're taught in society today, but we serve one another. Try this, serving one another. There's a great little book out there called The Love Dare. It ha- comes with a movie, um, but The Love Dare has a 30-day little devotional. It is basically 30 days of just doing a random little thing for your loved one. And it's not expecting anything in return. It's just, I'm going to do this for 30 days, something random for them. Um, you can go pick it up. It's like eight bucks at Family Christian Bookstore. Um, I'm assuming they still sell it because it was a huge seller when I worked there. Uh, but go, you can check it out. Um, it's just one of the easy ways of practical. I don't know what to do for my spouse. Okay, you got a book. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to do that. Some of us are like, uh, I want to be better, but I don't know how. Get the resources for it. Serving one another. Scripture for this, John 13, 12 through 15 says this. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightfully so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. (coughs) I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, this is Jesus washing his disciples' feet right before he gets arrested, right? This is, this is a big, 
deal. Our church, one of the very unique things about Church of God at Anderson is that we practice a Monday Thursday service. We have a foot washing service here the Thursday before uh, Easter, which will be coming up in a, a few short weeks. It's one of our things, a distinctive about us that we do. And you want to be a part of that wonderful, wonderful night. It's not as weird as it sounds. But <clears throat> it, is, it is this very intimate and beautiful thing, this foot washing. You can't think that you are better than someone else when you're washing their feet. Right? You, can't, you can't, especially in New Testament times. Think about your footwear of the time. You don't have, you know, Jordans on. You don't have nice shoes on. You've got some leather strapped and camels going to the bathroom in front of you. So bad things are going to happen to your footwear. And so Jesus, son of God, getting ready to sacrifice himself on the cross is saying, you know what? I will wash their nasty, crusted, corn-ridden athlete's foot. You know Peter had some nasty stuff going on. Feet, I will wash that. And this idea of total servanthood and total humility. And that is the idea that we, we take into our marriage that what is going to help them? I don't have to pretend or think or that I'm better than them. And I think so often sometimes in our, in our marriages, we, we fall into this trap. Maybe something has been done or something's been said or a job was lost or things have just deteriorated over years where there's this feeling of superiority over the spouse or the person in the relationship. You've got to cut that out now. And I said, I'm not telling you you have to go home and wash your wife, wife's foot, but it couldn't hurt. It's one of the most beautiful, intimate things you could ever do. But the attitude of, I am humbling myself in such a way that I would wash your feet. Do you see, the, see how that changes things? That I'm not better than you, that we're in this together, that I will serve you through anything, no matter what is going on. This is the attitude that we have. And that can be practically lived out in all kinds of different ways. By serving them. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, Each one of you should... Use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Now we use this and we teach this and grow. And this is really the verse in which we use on, on why we should use our spiritual gifts and how God has wired us to serve the community and serve the church. But before we even get to the church and before we even get to the community, we should be using how God has wired us to serve our own family, to bless our own family. If you've gotten to grow, come to grow, you've already got a leg up on everybody because you've gotten to take the test and figure out what your, your spiritual gifts are and all that stuff. You can just, oh, I can use that. I've seen several families that we talk about home life. And they don't use how they're wired at home. They use it at work, but it never translates to home. Well, uh, maybe it crosses some sort of, of gender role that you were brought up with or, or whatever. Like, all the interior decorating of the church is done by me. If you like it, great. If you don't, 
Yeah, great. <laughs> so the, I do that. Everybody goes like, oh, Kelly, where did you find this? And where did you do that? Kelly, she's like, do I wear this or this? It's just one of my things. You can think of me however you think of me. I don't care. I'm secure in my sexuality. <laughs> but that is, that is how, it's one of the ways in which I am wired. If I went home and I was like, well, you just pick all the colors out in the house, babe. You do everything, you know, like that. It would drive me absolutely insane. I'd be like, these things don't match. I'd just be cranky. And I'm picking on myself because we do that all the time in our own lives. If I was so, I don't balance the checkbook at home. And some of you are like, praise Jesus, Jared. But I don't do that because this is not one of my gift sets. Now, if there's big money issues going on or we need to, where are we going to invest? What are we going to buy? What home? What car? I, I really step into that. But on the day-to-day of balancing checkbooks and, and those stuff, I don't do that. Kelly is a gifted mathematician. She is brilliant with numbers. Me stepping into that would only cause a problem in our marriage. Because she's like, Jared, two plus two is four. Always has and always will be four. You try try to make it five. It doesn't work that way. So, but but we do that. I make fun of myself just so maybe you can see that. You you see those in our in our marriages, like, well, they've always done that. They have to do it that way. We have to do it this way because that's the way it was always done. That's the way my parents did it. But if you're good at it. And they're not, why? You're only propagating a problem because then you resent that they're terrible at such and such. If I do the checkbook each week, each month, this would be a monthly fight every single year. Jared, you're an idiot. I know. She would never call me an idiot. But you, what, what are you doing? And there would just be this animosity. And for the first like five, six years of our marriage, she would never say anything. It would just like stew and build. And then I would just know by body language because I'm smart like that. But I, I'll be like, oh, I must have did the math wrong. And I'd go back in there. And then I'd get really mad and I'd get really cranky because I knew I did it something wrong and I couldn't control it. But I would be too stubborn to ask for help. Does this sound like anybody else's marriage? Uh, here. So, you know what? Early on, we, I think I helped with the checkbook once. I was like, you know, I'm going to just, you need a glass of milk? I'm just going to cheer you on. You know, that's, I'm a much better cheerleader of checkbook balancing than I am of checkbook balancing. So I know my role. How am I going to serve? She serves our family by using her gifts in that. I will serve our family in other ways. Gender roles can be thrown out the window. Who cares? Get it done. Number seven, the second thing. I think these all tie into each other. But serving each other, that might be really, really, really uncomfortable for you. But we have to figure out how we can serve each other because we're on the same team. Because we is better than me. Second thing, we have to encourage each other, encouraging one another. John 14, 1 says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. <clears throat> Hebrews three thirteen says this, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I, I don't know about you, I need to hear that in how in my marriage. This is for all believers everywhere, but think about what your marriage looks like. Encourage one another daily. How long do I have to do it? As long as today is called today. You hear that? Encourage. What happens when our homes become a place of encouragement? What happens to our, our view of coming home after work? When I grew up, 
Everybody Loves Raymond was the hit TV show. And that is just an example over and over and over again of how not to do marriage. <laughs> okay, so if, if you want to talk about the antithesis of everything I'm talking about today, watch Everyone Loves Raymond and don't do that, okay? You've got it. Because that's not a place where anybody feels safe. And you probably have all seen the show. You don't feel safe. You don't feel like you can be yourself. You don't feel like you can make mistakes because it's always going to come under criticism. That's not how we want our homes to be. We face enough people who are looking to pick at us and tear us apart in the world. From the person behind you laying on the horn when you waited one-tenth of a second too long at a green arrow, to your boss, to the person trying to take your job, to your teacher, to your kid's teacher, to everybody, they're just waiting. It just feels like everybody's waiting. They're like, oh, I can pick at that, I can pick at that, I can pick at that. Your home is not that place. It is to be a place of encouragement. I, uh, I think this also works with parenting. This is one of those, it, it transfers really well into parenting. Yesterday, <clears throat> Bowen had a basketball game. He's been playing, he's playing in kindergarten basketball. <sighs> For um, two high-level af- athletes, that was myself and my wife, kindergarten basketball is like the third circle of hell. All right, so it's like, catch the ball, kid! <laughs> so, um, it's just, it's rough. Um, anyway, um, these, these things turn into counseling sessions for Jared. But anyway, um, Bowen has been playing fantastic in it. I'm really, really excited and proud of his attitude with it and including other kids, and he's always willing to you know, include others in, in it. And I'm just excited. He's playing kindergarten basketball, so everybody gets to play. Well, Bowen, for some reason, did not get to take warm-up shots yesterday. And he, I don't know what was going on, but he's asleep halfway through the game. Like, he's just, mm, I can tell in his eyes. He's not, he is not here. I don't know if he's watching cartoons in his head. I don't know if he's still eating pancakes. I don't know what is happening, but the boy is asleep. Now, uber-competitive dad who's trying not to live through his child, and it's really difficult, is just wants to be a little smack the and get in the game! Um... So you can you could be like, oh, he is really messed up. That pastor. <laughs> we would never do anything like that at all. We never yell at our children at all. Uh, so I go over, I go over there um, to try to encourage him uh, after his first five minutes, where he's just like, I mean, he's he's usually the lead scorer on the team, and he's like, oh, there's a ball. Look at there, it's bouncing. Pancakes. You know, don't know what's going on. <laughs> so I go over there. I was like, buddy, you awake? He's like, uh huh. I was like, are you sure? He's like, uh-huh. I was like, okay, you are defending really good. You, your guy didn't score at all. Good job. You're, you're, just, you're staying with him. That, but, buddy, you, you got to get the ball. You got to go, you know, catch it <laughs> and shoot it. <laughs> are you okay? You going to be awake? Uh-huh. Okay. You're doing a really good job. Blah, blah, blah. You're doing a great, great things here. I'm really proud of you. You're doing a good job. But you got you to get that ball. You got to wake up. Okay. I'll go back over there. He's still asleep halfway through the game. Finally, the last like five minutes, he's like, oh, there he is. And you can tell his whole body language is different. He's going after the ball. He's grabbing things. What is wrong with this? Um, my blood pressure was bad for the rest of the day. You know, it's all like... But as I was thinking about that yesterday, I was thinking about our marriages. <laughs> There's things that we just see in our spouses sometimes. We're like, this is driving me stinking insane. Right? And you can't say anything. Well, you can, but it's not a good choice. So you got to, but there's something has to happen here. Encouragement has a place in correctness. 
Encouragement has a place to say, okay, how do I do this without nagging? How do I do this without beating up? How do I do this? Because the silent treatment doesn't help anyone. Okay? Let's just get that out there. The silent treatment doesn't help anything. Passive aggressive doesn't help anybody ever at any time. So how do we speak into something has to change here, but in a positive, encouraging way? And so I think it's the, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking the same way as my, my child. I walked up to him. I said, hey, buddy, you okay today? Because if he would have said, Daddy, I don't feel good. I think I'm going to puke. I'd be like, this makes sense, right? I would ask a clarification question. You okay? Yeah, yeah. Hey, these are the things you are doing awesome. And this works with your wife or with your husband. Now, I wouldn't do this at 12.02 today because they're like, oh, okay, what is the list of grievances you have here? <laughs> You can wait until four. He'll forget by then. He'll be all in Super Bowl mode, so it's okay. But then you, you, you okay, you, you first, you, you say, are you okay? Clarification question. And then you say, this is, I, I've loved to see what you've been doing with the kids lately. You know, they are just growing so much, blah, 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 whatever. I don't know. You pick something, three things, eight things of all the wonderful things that they're doing. And then you ask a question. You don't say, come out and say, yeah, but you really are missing the boat on this. Right? You don't, don't, you don't need to say that. But do you need help with this? How do I include myself into being part of the solution? Do you get that? Because if we is better than me, then I can be part of the solution. I need a head nod or something. You guys understand what I'm saying? Okay. You all are like staring at me like, okay. Um, what, that, what does that look like? I'll just, a real life example. Kelly has like, Kelly came home and to stay at home to uh, be at home with the kids. So she picked up four part-time jobs because that made sense, right? So things sometimes fall through the cracks with her because she's so busy and trying to wear so many different hats. And then she basically works a full-time job here that is volunteer. And so it's all these different things that, that she does and she juggles. And so instead of going, hey, what's for dinner? That ain't the proper way of interjecting this thing. Okay. Hey, you know what, Jared? You got two hands, two feet, and a brain. You can read a box and pour it into the, into the pot, right? Or it's, hey, can I help with dinner? I, I like to chop the vegetables. This is my thing. I get to play with knives. I, get to, I like to chop, chop things, all right? So, hey, is there any, any stuff that I can do to, to prepare the meal for tonight? I don't know what you're cooking, but if you give me three onions, I can dice those things, Right? How can I be a part of the solution? Do you see the difference in that? Instead of complaining, instead of nagging, instead of pointing out the problems, I encouraged a proper solution by saying, how can I be a part of it? We is better than me. Does this make sense? All right. Three, produce with one another. Produce with one another. John 15, 4 to 5. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Deuteronomy 32, 30 says this. One man will chase a thousand. Two will put 10,000 to a flight. Excuse me. Make something together. 
anything. Toast. Make something together. Make plans together. Make a bed together. Make something together. Kelly and I, we went, because we're uber competitive, we went for the Olympic gold standard of doing something together as a couple. We hung crown molding in our house. I do not recommend this unless you are really, really secure and know in your communication technique that you can handle that because it is a fight waiting to happen, right? So you've got me flipping and reversing wood with a chop saw and we're measuring things. You know I'm out, right? Okay, so we've got this thing with a, we got all this stuff going on and it it just, we, we plotted through it. But the communication that it took to get through that and the pride in going, hey, we did that together. There's no blood on the walls, you know, we're still, we're stronger afterwards. All these wonderful things that came from doing a project together, make something together. And it can be as simple as breakfast, and it can be as complicated as crown molding. It can be as simple as planning out your next vacation together. And it can be, whatever it is, you just do something together. Because we're so isolated, because we're so so, okay, I'm just in my phone or I'm on the internet or I'm on, my, on this TV. I'm in this game. I'm in this whatever it is. We don't share experiences. Remember when you were dating and for four hours you absolutely did nothing on the couch and you loved every second of it? You shared experiences together. And you've got to continue to do that year after year, day after day, month after month. Bowen and I, this works in parenting as well. I guess there's more. Uh, Bowen and I last night, we were, we're trying to do some little different things out in the garage uh, together and make, make different things. And so we're on Pinterest together, very manly thing uh, to do with a son, be on Pinterest. Uh, but we're on there looking at what we can make, like what, what wooden toys we can make or how we can do this or what, what would be cool at the, at the lake to uh, kind of take as a, as a new yard toy down there. What, what can we do? And he's picking out things. And so we're... We're involving each other in how do we, how, what projects are we going to take on together? That works with your kids. It also works with your spouse as well. It doesn't have to be, I think you guys get it. We is always better than me. We is always better than me. Another thing we can work on <clears throat> is we protect one another. We protect one another. John 16, 1, all this I told you so that you will not go astray. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10, in the message translate, or paraphrase, says this. It's better to have a partner than to go it alone. Share the work, share the wealth. And if one of you falls down, the other helps. But if there's no one to help, tough. Two in a bed warm each other. Alone, you shiver all night. By yourself, you are unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-standard rope isn't easily snapped. By yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Your partner should always protect you. Your partner should always protect you. When you see your spouse, you see your, whoever you're in relationship with, you should know that my backside is always covered when they're around. I think this is, this is one of those areas that kind of just 
slips under the radar, like, oh, I'm around my friends. I'm kind of going to make fun of my spouse. Eh, degrade them a little bit. Man, they did this to annoy me. And we start gossiping about our marriage. And what that does is it exposes our most loved to arrows and to wounds. We should never be getting a knife in the back. We have to commit to protecting one another, never saying anything negative about our spouse to anyone else. One of my, uh, I was only here a couple months. <clears throat> this was fun. And Kelly was at the lake, I think, for the week or down in Georgia. She was gone. And, and I went to a, a party and I was there with a, the Tootins. I hadn't I'd only met Tom like maybe once. And I'm standing there talking to the Tootins. And uh, I, it's like, well, what's, where's Kelly? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, she's gone, and the kids are gone for the weekend, and I'm, you know, I'm just alone in the house. It's nice and quiet. I'm loving every second of it. And he just looked at me like I had three heads. He's like, I hate that. I hate when that happens. I love spending time with, with my wife. And I felt like a terrible husband at that time. I was like, oh. It's like, I didn't say I don't like her. I just really enjoy my alone time. Right? <laughs> so it was just funny because, I mean, that was two years ago, and I still remember it. Because it was just, I was like, oh, wow, that's really, really cool to get that out of that. That even in those moments that, that he's, he's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm protecting her. It could have been easily turned into, well, I'm, I'm here by myself. It could have, oh, I love those times so I don't have to be around her. And then it's like, oh, you one up, well, how much you like being not around your wife. This is not the way to do this. Does this make sense? We protect. Cut those conversations off. Change the subject. If that's your only area of conversation with a friend, you need a different friend. Okay? Or a new hobby, one of the two. I want to go back. I want to give you some more examples uh, of weird examples about um, doing something together. The mocks have a really fun thing they do during the summer. They buy a season pass, um, like a small uh, golf pass. It's four or five times they go golfing with each other. Steve takes the day off work, and they go Golfing. They've taken lessons together. They do the whole thing. They go to the clubhouse. It's a whole day that they just spend with each other golfing. I thought that was fantastic. I was like, "Did you? Were you both big golfers? Eh, kind of. It, it didn't matter. They were spending the whole day together. Does that make sense? I thought that was really unique and, and fun way. There's another couple in the church who plays video games together, right? They have their own systems, their own TVs, their own headsets. They play video games together. That's how they bond with each other. Some of you are like, what in the world is going Millennial marriage bonding right there, okay? <clears throat> they do that. That's one of the ways. There's all kinds of different ways in which we can do, make, do something together. Back to protecting one another. We have to guard each other's backsides. That we know there is enough other things in this world trying to tear us down, trying to hurt us, that my spouse will never, ever be one of those people. We have to commit to that. So if that's a behavior in you and you didn't even think it was, I would never hurt them. I don't punch them much. You know, I don't, I don't hurt them. But you do gossip about them and you do tear them down in front of your friends. You got to stop that today. And then finally, we have to pray for one another. Now, if you thought serving one another was going to be uh, uncomfortable, praying intentionally out loud for your spouse will be very uncomfortable. It also is one of the most intimate, beautiful things that you can do for your spouse. Praying for one another. Maybe you got to work up to it. Maybe it's like a month of 
I don't even, maybe you're the one, I don't pray for them ever now, right? Maybe you should start. Each day, talking about their day. When you say, hey, how's your day? What's it look like today? Okay, I got a list. I'm going to pray intentionally for that. And you pray for them and you lift them up and all the the challenges that they're going to face in this day. Maybe you know they got this big account going to happen. Maybe you know they're facing this challenge at work. Maybe you know all these different things are going on and you lift them up to God for that. Praying for each other. John 17, 1 and 9. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. In praying for each other, there can be healing in marriage. God wants your marriage to succeed. He is for you and he is for your marriage. Ask him to help. Some of the most... uh, Kelly and I don't pray out loud for each other that often. I'm not saying that you know, we've got this all down perfect. As you, you see me, I don't do this perfect. But I remember the times in which we, we intentionally do do this. Maybe those times when we were having um, uh, pregnancy complications. Or she was having big things going on at work. I'm having big struggles at work. These times it's just out loud, intentional, intimate. I'm praying for you because prayer for each other, it covers all the serving. It covers the protecting. It covers the uh, doing something together. It covers, what's the other one? The encouraging. It covers all those by simply just praying for your spouse or your loved one. The same thing can happen with your children as well. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. There's a lot of different things we talked about today, but we is always better than me. And so out of all these different uh, five choices we can make, these five decisions that we're going to make, I want you just to circle one, two, three, four, five, whatever, however you feel comfortable with. Maybe you go, I do two of these really well, and I got to take it up to three or four. Maybe I do none of these, and let's just take it to one. Maybe I do four of them, and let's take it to that fifth level. Wherever you're at on that kind of spectrum, but you got to invest in this. Make it a choice. Make it a conversation of your family today. What can we do? How can we get better? I feel like we're doing really good. I do too, but I always want to get better. We is always better than me. I want more for our marriages here at this church. If our marriages change and become healthy and beautiful areas in which God is blessing, our parenting will do the same. And if our parenting is doing that, our kids friends will have influence in that. And if our kids' friends are, are changed that, we start changing the surrounding, our surroundings. It flows out from us. When God is working in our marriage, it changes everything in our lives. I want that for you. And for these next few weeks, we're going to delve deeper and deeper and deeper into what that looks like. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time. And God, we ask you to bless us and guide us as we go about our week, as we try to implement some of these changes. God, some of our marriages are just tough. And some of the wounds are deep. And some of the hurts are real. 
And God, I ask you for, for those in this church right now, in this building, in this room right now, that you would guard their heart, that you would, you would touch their heart. Instead of the feelings of animosity and the feelings of regret and the feelings of hurt, that you would start to remove those and replace them with, with hope again, with healing again. God, I ask you to bless our marriages, to change our lives, to change our future. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.